Hi, I'm Corey Grant, and you're listening to The A Block. The receiving core, Corey Grant, Eastern rookie nominee, Morreale, Flutie, the go-to guy, and Andrew Grigg on the outside. Calgary defense. Welcome to another edition of the A Block. Everyone, thanks for tuning in as always here on the CFP podcast feed. We really do appreciate all of you being able to subscribe, download, tell a friend, as we always say at the end of the podcast. It has helped us be able to bring you more as we head towards the CFL season. We have a new promo code thanks to our friends from Sada City Brewing Company offering brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. You can visit their website at sadacitybeer.com shot their wide variety of brews they do have a whole new summer lineup lots of great stuff that we're doing with the Sada city happy hour tastings on our youtube channel which you can check out of course on weekends we put those up every saturday but this june the promo code is no longer cfp it's now cfl that cfl promo code will get you free shipping on your first order over a hundred dollars shipping available to ontario residents only and must be of legal drinking age today very fortunate to have corey grant uh, former cfler of course a distinguished cfl career he played 11 seasons in the cfl won two great cup titles was named the east division outstanding rookie in 1999 he ended up with 326 catches for a little over 4400 yards and 17 touchdowns but the thing that i have always enjoyed about corey grant is his energy and his enthusiasm and the way that he attacks every single day i got to know him a little bit when he was the receivers coach at mcmaster when i was playing there my first two years from there he moved on to go be with the hamilton tiger cats he spent about six years there and most recently held the position of assistant offensive coordinator and running backs coach in 2018 and then, of course, he jumped ship back over to McMaster and got himself an opportunity to become an offensive coordinator. But as you'll hear in this interview, he's doing a lot more than just calling X's and O's and working on virtual Zoom calls to try and teach the offense to first-year players. He is working on diversity and inclusion in all sorts of ways around McMaster's campus and beyond in the greater Hamilton community. And his energy and enthusiasm for that is just as infectious as it is for football. Hope that you enjoy the podcast again. Corey Grant for you here. First, as a Stony Creek guy, I do have to give a shout out to Stony Creek, Fox 40. The Canadian Football Perspective podcast brought to you by our friends at Fox 40, helping you return to play safely as McMaster hopes to do with Corey Grant with their latest innovations, the Fox 40 Tri-Layer Whistle Mask and the Fox 40 Electronic Whistle. For 15% off all of your whistle needs, go to fox40shop.com and enter the promo code CFP15. Save yourself some money thanks to our friends from Stony Creek. Stony Creek Zone, Corey Grant right here on the A Block. All the stories that I've heard about the gold cleats and the, the body paint and the, the Laurier days, is that true? Are all those things true? They might be true, but um, <laughs> we'll leave them as legend, as lore, just because I do coach now and I do have a younger son. I have a young son who wants to get into the sport and I try to do tell my players, do as I say, not as I did. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, it's funny because I heard an interview with Michael Irvin the other day where he called Aaron Rodgers a diva. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that's how that works. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've heard stories of Michael Irvin walking through a courtroom in a pink fedora in a mink uh, jacket. And it's like, but he earned it. And that leads me again to 
just I'll leave it alone in a second here, Corey, but I just laughed at the idea of people saying, well, like all people that are brash and flamboyant and show their personality and all that. Well, they're not good people in the locker room. I disagree, man. I think I would have loved to have played with a guy like you that had the type of energy that you had that worked the way that you did. I don't give a damn if you got stuff painted on your abs or gold cleats or whatever. It's And now you, that you are coaching, I'm sure that you see some players and you're like, oof, man, you know, I could recruit this kid and I wonder what he's going to be like down the road when we need him to be a leader. But from where you come from and knowing how hard you worked, regardless of whatever the stuff on the outside was, it's like all that matters is the product, is it not? Yeah, it does. And especially with young men, as we're trying to grow into who we are and what we're knowing in our identity, we do have a lot of changes and we do have a lot of growth. So I think when we talk to athletes now, right, there's that flamboyant thing and we want that brass and we want that. But understanding as coaches and as leaders, we can help guide some of that and really channel that energy into different parts and different areas and not really take away from that individual right? Because we are individuals and letting them shine through that. And then just seeing how that can work and fit into a team atmosphere. I, I absolutely loved working with you when I was at McMaster, because even though I had no idea which way was up the whole time that I was there, I just remember thinking that guy's got a lot of energy. Like I love his vibe. So I'm so happy to see you working now, whether it had been with the Thai cats or with us as receivers coach, and now as an offensive coordinator at McMaster, And I'm wondering for you, what's the part of the job that you enjoy the most? Because it's obvious that you enjoy what you do. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of long hours, but you really seem to be fueled by the challenge of the day-to-day grind and you use that energy. And I'm just wondering why you love what you do. Um, Someone, the reason why I love it is I just love life and I I enjoy teaching. Um, And I am so fortunate to have gotten to play and, re- and coach at the highest level that you can in Canada. And I want to be able to pass on that information. And some of the things, even for our players right now, or anybody that I'm around is we can control our attitude, right? And we can control the energy that we bring. And I think uh, Coach O, who's the head coach for the Ticats would say that too, right? You, one thing you can control is your attitude and the energy that you're going to bring to any room in any situation that you have. And my passion for football is just to take what I've learned. And I was fortunate enough to get passed on to me and pass that on. And if, and the energy piece is just who I am, like we're not going to walk on the field, right? We can control that. The scoreboard is going to take care of itself, but walking on the field, we can control that. We can keep our heads high, no matter what the play is and move on to the next play. And we can do that in life because we're going to have those different challenges. We're going to face different things. And then our attitude and what we bring to it, is really what's going to carry us to that next step. Love it. Uh, You mentioned Coach O there. We'll get more into everything happening at McMaster coming up in a couple of minutes here. But I do want to go back into uh, your past. After the Laurier days, you get drafted seventh overall, I believe it was, by the Ticats, um, as we like to assign a number value to everybody in the draft. I'm guilty of doing that too. Where It's like, wow, that guy was second overall. Oh, he was fourth. Wow, he really fell. Uh, But when you get taken that high in the draft and you go to a team who wins the Great Cup in your rookie year, like that must have been an incredible experience to be in that room and around that cast of characters, because I'm guilty of it. Sometimes when I'm, you live in the same area that I do, I'm in the garage, it's open. I'm working out, pretending that I'm still strong in my, my own home during the pandemic. And as I'm doing that, sometimes I throw on old gray cups and it's hard for me not to throw on 98 or 99 every time I'm out there because there's so much fun. There's so many interesting people that are still relevant surrounding the CFL today so when you show up like what was that like for you to go into 
that room and be around those people because there is an endless list of people that are just so unique and different and like I say still have an impact on what's happening in the CFL and around sport in Canada today yeah uh so the story like for me it's my hometown yeah right and back then we didn't have the draft like it is today and I was really in our class of at Laurier to really get drafted so there wasn't really this big hoopla, oh, we're going to go to the draft and we're going to do this and this is what it looks like. Um, I just remember stepping back is uh, when I was, I had an exam that day of the draft. And I remember I knew it started at 11 and I wrote it, studied, and then I flew out. And I think I blew some, peop- uh, some other people's indiv- uh, students' papers off their desk. Um, as I ran out, ran home and I was just fortunate enough at that time because it wasn't on the internet. I knew some, somebody was able to patch me through on the phone call and I got to hear uh, Coach Lancaster call my name. Oh, wow. And I think from that moment on, I start, I was crying and I do have, I was wearing a yellow shirt, a sweatshirt um, and it was obviously tie cat colors. And when I got drafted, I had that sweatshirt on. Didn't know I was getting there. I didn't know anything about it. Um, still have the snot on it from, from this day. Right? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I keep, we're cleaning up the house now, right? And you still have those things and called my parents and my mom's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I, it's that sobbing, silly cry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and couldn't, she's like, what wrong? I said, I got drafted. So that right there, that emotion was unbelievable for that. And so then walking into that locker room, with Mike Morielli, Andrew Greg, um, Flutie sitting yeah. there. And I had been in the stands the year before in 98 when they lost. And Arson, was I, I, yeah, I think I was in the stands yeah. and for the Montreal game when they won that Montreal game to go to the Great Cup and then they lost. And then to be in that room with them, I was in awe. And I didn't think as a young man that grew up in Stony Creek and sat in the games and watched with my dad that I belonged. So sitting in there and having these legends in that room, you know, Morielli's a Stony Creek guy and watching him grow up uh, and play at Newman and, and go on to great things at Mac, um, just to be with those guys, I was in awe. So I didn't know if I belonged, didn't belong. Archie Amerson's in there, little guy, strongest I've ever seen. Joe Hagen's, Joe Monford, you walk in, he's a legend. Uh, so walking in there, you're just trying to learn and absorb everything that I could and then just try and fit in. And then they stick me in the starting lineup. And I was like, why? Like, really? So, um, yeah, it was just an awe. I think still looking back, I'm in awe of it and just putting on that helmet. And uh, we didn't have at that time, we just come in with our helmets and just with the black on it. And it was a really special day when they put the tie cat, the old tie cat logo on the helmet. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm here. I'm really yeah. here. Yeah, the logo makes it real, right? How do you overcome that self-doubt, though? Because if you are, for me, you know, if I get thrown into a room like that in 99 with all those personalities you're talking about, every second of the day, I would be looking around and saying, I don't deserve this. Like, I, no matter how good I am, that's going to be really difficult to overcome. But, but you don't have the choice in a cutthroat sport and a roster that they're willing to move on from you if you don't produce or you don't play up to their standard. How do you go into every day of work, what is now work, and realize, okay, I, I just have to act maybe like I belong. Maybe I just have to earn it in my own way. Like there has to be some sort of 
mental process to realizing, no, I can actually do this. And these guys are great at what they do, but I'm here for a reason. How did you overcome that? Um, you know what? It was a lot of internal belief. And at times I did have some doubt, um, but really sticking through that veteran room because they weren't expecting me to be anything other than who I was. Right. So Morielli, Griggs, um, Flutie, Archie took me under their wing, right? And just said, do, do you? And Danny McManus as a great leader and a great quarterback um, was just one of the, they just kept really building up my confidence as I went through. And each game, each week, and you hit a wall, you hit that rookie wall that halfway through. And knowing that they were there to say, hey, Joe, Joe Hagens, let's go. Let's go to the gym, go to the gym. Let's do this and let's do that. And they kept building me up and building that confidence in me because I did have those days and just realizing I can do this. So for myself, a little bit of that self-doubt did creep in. But again, being reminded, you know what? It is football. And I was still that kid from Laurier that would wear striped socks, the dark <laughs> visor, spray painting his spat and doing those things that when it hit the football field, believing that kid was still in there and then really rising to the occasion when I had to. Yeah. That's, a, that's amazing to be able to do that. Like you make it sound easy, but that's a, that's a process. And I, I'm always amazed when I look at guys in the CFL draft and they come out and they go to a team and you can very quickly tell those who just don't give a damn about what's surrounding them. They're just head down and working and they just fit in. Like there's a lot of names I could throw out there, but one for me that's from Mac that, you know, is Eric Mezzalera. Like when he got to Calgary, like Mez didn't for a second seem like he had to figure it out and be cautious. And it was just like, I'm going to learn. I'm going to play on special teams. I'm going to do whatever they need me to do. And he just went and he ends up winning a great cup in his first year. Right. And I feel like those are the guys that succeed getting drafted from U sports NCA otherwise, but really U sports into the CFL is those that just go in, put their head down and just do it because it's really easy from the people that I've talked to that have been in the league that have questioned themselves or had those doubts that you're talking about to just, struggle to find that self-belief especially in the early days yeah definitely and I and as you said it I was fortunate enough because I obviously I was at Laurier and then we didn't have rookie camps back then but we did come together so I was able to drive down to Hamilton and get to meet the guys nice. and work out with them and do those things a couple months beforehand so I a little bit of that was that pressure was taken off because I had met them before I'd been in the locker room and was sort of welcome that way, but it was in the end, put my head down and go to work. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I had to at least believe at that point, okay, I belong. And even when those self-doubt did come in, it was get more in my playbook, learn more, listen, right. That was the biggest thing was learn and listen. And I just learned from the older guys. How did they do it? What were they doing? How did they practice? Learn to practice. I'll never forget. Um, uh, who was it? Mr. Griggs, uh, linebacker, his name will come to me in a second. Uh, but uh, I wasn't doing scout team. I'm standing beside uh, Flutie and Morielli and Griggs not doing scout team. And Lamar, Lamar McGriggs goes up to me. Hey, Rook, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, well, I'm over here. And well, they're, they're the starters. No, Rook, you run scout team. You haven't earned that yet. You haven't earned anything to stand over here with these veterans that don't need to do scout team. I don't care that you're a starter. You're a rookie. This is your first year. You go down and you go and do scout team and you run those. And then you can come back with the starting group and run those too. So that put into my mindset, they weren't going to let me get a, 
away with being a diva or being a starter. No, you have to keep putting in the work because that's the only way you're going to get better is by putting in that work. So I learned early, you know, put your head down, get to work, get in your playbook. And that attitude and those attitudes, keep that positive attitude and keep going. That's what's going to keep pushing you to being as good as you want to be. Yeah, for sure. I was about to ask you if you had a hello rookie moment. Uh, that might be one from practice. Do you have one from a game? Did you have a moment that you kind of realized whether it was I'm in the show or something happened in a game where you're you're realizing very quickly, oh God, this is professional football. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Um, so uh, it was in Toronto. It was the, uh, the Sky Dome at the time, and we were playing the Argos, um, and. Uh, we were going and we, we were in the game going back and forth and it was cover zero and we had sight adjustments on that cover zero and we didn't have X and Z. We just played our sides, left side, right side. Andrew was on one side. I was on the other side. It wasn't like wide side, short side. It's wherever you ended up. Right. And I was alone on the left side, <clears throat> right beside our bench. Cause our bench was, I can picture it right now. And it was cover zero. And I went to run a slant and Danny th threw at me, threw me a perfect ball. And anytime he threw the ball, it was perfect. You hate to drop it. And I dropped it, um, dropped the ball. And then I think he came back to me later on. I don't know if it was that series or later on in the game. And I dropped another pass and I was crushed, 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 mortified CFL game, big game against the Argos, Hamilton kid, hate the Argos, don't want anything to do with them. Uh, so I remember dropping those two balls and I'm going to the sideline, sideline, head down and wanting to crawl under the bench, the rock, anything I could find. So I'm in the position right now looking for the phone to call upstairs uh, to Ronnie Lancaster, Coach Lancaster, Jr., our offensive coordinator. But as a rookie, I can't find the phone. Didn't use the phone when I was in university. So I'm looking for the phone, can't find the phone. The next thing I hear special teams, uh, field goal return. Right. And they're looking for me. So they're Corey, Corey, they're yelling, Grant, Grant, Grant. I'm looking for the phone to call upstairs to tell them to take me out of the game because I've got two balls. They're starting to yell at me. So now they yell at me to go back to get the missed field goal. Cause I was on special teams as a returner, as punt returner, missed field goal returner. So can't find the phone, call me up. Boom. Send me back there all in a hippie. Don't, really locked in um they missed the field goal the argos missed the field goal so i start running around the back of the end zone and then i start to run out it's on the left hand side and if you remember it's on the press side yeah where we were on that side of the field i don't know when you're looking at the scoreboard or the restaurant we're on the left side so i run to that side and i run about a yard or two to take a knee because I don't know if I'm supposed to bring it out or not supposed to bring the ball out. I go to take a knee. I see for somewhere, someone wave a hand to come out of the end zone. So instead of taking the knee, as I'm about to go take my knee, I go and run it out, return it 120, I don't know, the ball's over here, 120 something yards, 26 yards or 27 uh, yards and go and score and take a knee in the other end zone. <laughs> that was my first touchdown. That was my first touchdown. That's wild. Yeah. So we go back the next day. I know it's a long story. Go back the next day and we're watching film. There is nobody that weighs me out of the end zone. Oh. 
no hand went up to wave me out of the end zone. So right there and then, and then if you watch the film, it's on the, like the 99 highlight tape, you can see I have no gloves on and I used to wear gloves. So I had taken my, you know, as a receiver, you drop the ball. I took off my gloves. I had right. no gloves on at that time. All I had was tape around my wrist. So that moment right there made me realize, okay, that was that rookie moment. Um, if I had found the phone, I probably wouldn't have went back there. I didn't find the phone and it changed everything became rookie of the year for us, the East. And it just shot my uh, career up. So that's incredible. That that yeah. That's such a fork in the road moment, right? Like happenstance looking back on it, how that could have turned out differently. But uh, yeah, I can't imagine the emotions once you get into the end zone and you actually, you realize it. I don't even know if you would have realized going back to the bench or if it would have been that night or a week later or watching the film when you're like, man, that could have, that could have ended up way differently, Corey. Like that could have been a completely different situation where people are looking at you and, you know, football, you know, especially in that era of football with huge shoulder pads and face masks that are seven times larger and macho culture and all the rest, which it still is, but it used to be just a whole completely different level of that stuff. You would have just been destroyed if you would have got to that phone, no? Yeah, definitely. Like if I had found the phone and called up, um, maybe the conversation with coach would be like, no, we're going back in and you're going back in or the next guy behind me pulls me out. Right. And then that's it. I don't go back for return. And then the, my whole career is different. <clears throat> Wild. Yeah. That is yeah. Crazy. Yeah. That's that fork in the road. And there's a reason. And like I said, when we waved it over, I don't, we still don't know to this day, there was nobody when we watched the film. <laughs> I love that you imagine it kind of fits with the gold cleats. I'll say that, that you imagined the wave out and then you just took the ball. You're like, yeah, you know what? Then make the best of it. But um, I'll ask you one more question here about your playing days. I'm always interested in people that have played for uh, Hamilton and Saskatchewan specifically people that have played for those two franchises, because I love getting the answer to this question because they're the only two cities that have CFL teams that don't have NHL teams. I think it makes them unique. Uh, Obviously the fan bases are rabid. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, Compare and contrast Hamilton and Saskatchewan, like the different, and I know it's a huge answer that you could go a billion different directions, but just in terms of the playing experience and the fan bases, because they're two really special franchises that you got to play for. Um, Yeah, definitely. I will say this Hamilton to me is dear to my heart because home is home. Yeah. Right. This is home. I got to play here at home. I grew up here. I grew up idolizing the Ticats. Uh, I have a book that I wrote when I was in grade six that I use when I go and talk. And it says that I want to become a professional football player, want to become a tie cat. And I got to live out that dream. Um, so that Hamilton is home. The fans are special. I remember being uh, one time being in a <clears throat> video store. Remember those? Yes, I, I do. A video store around the corner. I saw a phone booth the other day, man. I was driving down Barton and I saw I saw a phone booth and I almost jumped out of the car. I was like, man, I can't wait to show my son that. Like I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna drive past this corner, and be like, we're gonna stop the car, jump out, and run over there. I'm gonna be like, come here. People used to come to these and make calls. So that's the yeah. same way I feel about video stores. Yeah. So the video store, and I remember a, a young man looking at me, and I was just like, Well, why are you looking? And then he was like, Well, that's you you play for the Thai Cats. And I was like, yeah, and his dad said, and then I just did an autograph and stuff like that. So Hamilton is special. The fans were special. It's my first Grey Cup. Um, and the, the streets were packed. After a while, I didn't even think I walked. I stood in the bus. I walked the whole thing. Um, I think I still have somebody's hat that I took at the Grey Cup game. Um, the Joker <laughs> hat that I was wearing, and I was wearing it there and, and doing those things. And it was a special. And playing in Hamilton was special. 
Um, so that part of the fan base and doing that, unbelievable. Now, Saskatchewan, different. <laughs> different. It's the first thing on the news, the last thing on the news. Yeah. Right? It's just different. It, it is different over there. Uh, the passion, it's just a different passion. Like you said, with Hamilton, it's the Hamilton fans and a little bit of surrounding area of it because you got Toronto down there and you got Buffalo, you got other things to do, right? But this is hometown. There, it's, we're going to Saskatoon. You're bringing Moose Jaw. You're going all the way, the whole, it's the whole province now. So that's what makes it a little bit, it makes it different there, a different feel because you're almost, it's not just uh, Regina, you're talking about the entire province that you're representing. And it's almost bigger than just that city. Um, but it is the first thing on the news, the last thing on the news. And uh, right there, I don't think you're ever forgotten. Once you play there and you win a cup there, they remember you for life. Yeah, absolutely. So you go from your playing career and you get into coaching. And uh, I, again, I was very fortunate because I was around in the relative early days of uh, your coaching journey. And since you have come into coaching, to where you are at now at McMaster as an offensive coordinator, working alongside uh, Coach Brady and Coach Patatsik and all the rest. What has changed about you as a coach? Like, how have you evolved, do you think, since you got into this basically a little over a decade ago? Um, that's, a, woo, that's a loaded question. How have I changed? Um, a lot more patient, um, l- less rigid. Like, when I first started coaching and I coached way back with the Niagara Spears Jr., team it was this is it's going to be my way this is how we're going to do it and really rigid now I think just over my years of learning and being around different coaches and even like my mentor uh coach Condell Tommy Condell is probably the best and I can call him at any time just for advice and just learning it is a group process of putting things together especially on the offensive side of the ball um and also to bring the players in a little bit more I think when I was a younger coach, I wanted to always be right and always have answers. And now I've learned to really, it's more of a collaborative and coach Potasic is really good at that. Coach Condell was really good at that and teaching that it wasn't just this way. Now, obviously we have the pen last as the OC, but bringing in different voices and actually taking advice from others of how to teach and how to get things done. Um, I think that's been my biggest growth. And then knowing I don't know everything. I truly don't know everything and learning to take the advice of others and really molding it. So it fits um, the best way for our players to learn for us to put it out to our players and to put them in the best position. So I'm not as rigid as I used to be when, when I first started. Did you think that you would be less rigid when you got into it two years, three years, or is that just, you get to year eight, nine, 10 and you're like, you know what? I am different. Yeah, I think it's you get to as you progress. And as I progressed, um, you just learn. I'm like, hey, you know what? I am different. This this does make sense. Like coaching with the Ticats as a running back coach, I have CJ Gable in my room. The guy went to USC, right? I have big time guys that come into the lock, into our room, and they've been in the NFL and they've been around NFL coaches. And I was a receiver. So I had to take a step back and say, all right, this is how I'd love you to do it. But they would coach. We learned it this way. And I was like, okay, well, let's try that way. Right. And if that doesn't work, let's go back to this way. But that's really where I started to realize you've got to bring your players in because they're bringing in their experiences that may have worked best from that for them. And then we started building things together. Um, And so that became one of those processes as I was going through and just understanding, listen, 
they're coming in with different things and they're gonna come in with great ideas that work for them. Let's, how can I mold that so that they can continue to feel and work it within the offensive system that we're doing? Absolutely. Uh, you've been a part of, a, of some really important initiatives at McMaster as well, which I know yeah. you're extremely proud of. We'll get to uh, the women's coaching program that was just announced this past week, which is, uh, I'm, it's a game changer, I think, in the landscape of Canadian coaching and the way that things are going to be trending. But we have gone through the last year and a half of uh, upheaval and cultural uh, representation becoming a more mainstream part of the daily communication, especially between athletes and especially between coaches and people that are in power. The work that you have done at McMaster specifically, I know that you've done a lot of things in a lot of different places um, when it comes to being able to make sure that everybody is on the same page and understanding what matters and how you can try and improve the quality of the conversation for everyone. But at McMaster, what has that experience been like for you? Uh, it's been rewarding um, and just amazing. Um, just being able to talk to the student athletes uh, being part of that conversation and open up dialogue uh, to be a part of the community and not just our football team, but having interactions with soccer, basketball, rugby, um, all the, the, the entire athletic department. I've learned so much. And uh, even with our greater university and now speaking with our equity and inclusion office and how we can change things and do different things. The growth for me has been so tremendous in this last year. I've learned so much that we haven't played football and I always saw myself as, yes, I'm more than, I mean, I'm a father, I'm a husband, but football is what I, my real passion, but I've realized that there's more to it, right? There's more to than just looking at our players and our athletes as just football players and just athletes. There's bigger than that. They are student athletes and they are gonna become those CEOs and those leaders for tomorrow? And how are we um, really putting them in a situation where that they can grow for after life after sport? So for me, it's just been so rewarding and powerful to having the support to speak. Um, the student athletes giving me that power and that strength to go out hey, and speak up and use my voice and help them use their voice to the best so that they can really advocate for change. I get the sense when you talk about being involved in these conversations on diversity and inclusion that um, it's given you a, a different sense of purpose where it's like, yeah, you got hired as a football coach and you still do great football things and you're working on the football side, but it's almost like this, this alternative motivation that's constantly sitting on your shoulder where it's like, you know, once I'm done the work on all of this football stuff, well, there's still a lot more work to do over here that you're excited about that. It's, it's nice to have uh, dual motivations. I know there's many more than two for you, but to have two that really drive you forward and that mean something to you is pretty unique because there's not a lot of people, Corey, as you know, that have a lot of jobs where they get that motivation daily. Yeah, def definitely. And and for me, it, it is that. It is that piece because <clears throat> before we would just have meetings about football yeah. and about offense. And our, that was our locker room conversation. But now I've realized with all of our athletes across the board, we need to have bigger conversations and we talk about it um, as a team, as an offense uh, with our, with our individual players and different groups as men, sometimes we put up a shield, right? And then as football players we, and athletes, we put up another shield, right? But we're learning to break down some of those and to have these difficult conversations in our locker rooms and as men 
because we are carrying so much with us and realizing that passion of, okay, being able to speak up, voice our opinions, do those different things. Uh, it is bigger than our sport. Um, and hopefully we can continue to carry that on. And that's been really that passion over this year, speaking on social justice and having those conversations in our locker room and as an athletic department. And kudos to Coach Potasic, to our athletic department and to our university, just for having those open dialogues and, and really supporting those conversations. How do you think that would have affected you if there would have been these new, I hate calling them new because they should not be new, but these new conversations, like having this new structure of it's okay to talk about things that are outside of X's and O's, because as a player who lived through a very different time in terms of the way you communicate with those around you inside the locker room, to somebody who's now leading the conversation in a locker room, I would imagine there's been a couple of times where you've thought back to your playing days or your Laurier days or Saskatchewan or Hamilton, or you've been like, man, like we could have used this. Um, yeah, definitely. Cause even for, and when we talked to the players and I talked to them, I said, some of the things that you're going through, I went through when I was in university. Right. And now you're going through those now. And I didn't talk about them and I didn't have anybody to talk to and we weren't having these conversations. So it's almost like history for me is repeating itself. Hmm. And now through these conversations and having these conversations, we need to speak up because my son who wants to play football, who's 10 running around and doing that. And my daughter who wants to get into sports and high level sports, I want it to, their conversations to be different. So if we're having these conversations now on how we can have change and how we can interact with each other and have these discussions, and we can start to really enact change now, then their conversation 10 years down the road is going to be different. Right? So for me, I feel like since I was to university now, nothing's really We've had some progress, but we're still having the same conversations. Let's really change it. Let's really put things in place to where we can make it okay to have those conversations about our mental health, right, and our mental well-being. Really break down some of those uh, taboos and those things that have been put up. For so when my kids are now in university and they're growing up and they're going through it, they're having a totally different conversation and they're building now mm-hmm. on what's been set by these by our student athletes that are going through this right now. And the, the challenge obviously is to continue the momentum, right? And to not allow things to be stagnant or to go backwards. And, uh, and I, with people like you working in locker rooms, I, I would think that momentum is gonna continue, but there's gonna need to have a lot of people that have the same drive and passion for it outside of just the football side of things. Um, so obviously we hope that that happens. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about here today, Corey, is um, what you guys announced at McMaster this week when it comes to women coaching football we know there's been bits and pieces here in the nfl with internship programs and all the rest but you guys did something pretty groundbreaking this week uh so the floor is yours on this the full background the details so that people can know everything that has come out here um yeah it, the i know a lot of questions always come the why like why did we start not for me why not yeah um i've been in a conversations on zoom meetings uh with a whole bunch of different coaches down in the states um over this past summer and the uh a bunch of different women from different programs uh were speakers and they actually had a panel with women that were ad's in recruiting down in the states and football and different uh positions and different coaches at different capacities uh and the d-line coach from tampa bay she came on and, and and spoke and just the powerful things that they were doing down there inspired me and then watching 
Tampa Bay go through and win the Super Bowl and having that conversation of how diverse their staff was. And then I just was like, well, why not us? Why don't we do this? Why can't we do this? And having different. So that's really where it came from. I've reached out to Claire Arsenal and we just started talking and then I reached out and then just started reaching out to different people in the athletic department. Why don't we put a program together? And coach Potasic was like, Corey, I got your back run with it. Uh, so I just been talking to our women's flag football program, how could they could be involved, what, how they would like to see it going, talking to our equity and inclusion, talk to our athletic directors of making how we could get this off the ground and everybody was a go. Uh, and then, we was just about putting the pieces together and making sure it would work, right? And for me, um, the thought was, well, let's have five, right? But then talking to uh, our flag program, let's start small. This is a pilot project um, and how we can build it and really build it for to create a pipeline. So that's where it, it came from. And for me, I know I've been saying, well, this is about breaking down barriers. And I think it's more as I thought about it and been going through these conversations, it's not more about opening doors, yeah. right? As football coaches, we're teachers. And some of my best teachers have been women, right? Growing up in elementary school Absolutely. and stuff like that have been women. And that's what we are as football coaches. We are teachers. And how do you connect with your players? It's not so much about the X's and O's in the end of the game. If I can get a player to run through the brick wall, as they say, for me, that's all they'll do anything or do those things. And motivation comes in different ways. Um, and I think more diverse our locker room is, and that's what Coach P does. He empowers us as coaches, um, Coach Potasic. Um, he empowers us as coaches. He takes in all of our ideas. I think more diversity and more in different voices and being able to teach and connect with our players, that's where it came from. And it's just about opening doors. And why, again, why not? Yeah. So that's where. So that's where we're at right now. And it's, the uptake has been really great and powerful. And uh, it would be nothing more powerful for me, one, on our national teams, um, that our women's national team, to have a woman head coach or to have a majority of that staff. And if we can start creating that pipeline, and even for our women's flag program, to have one of our, instead of, and I love our guys that we coach, they coach our women because they're giving back for our flag programs but to have a woman standing at the front of the board and coaching her team mm -hmm. and feeling comfortable and feeling confident, then that that's powerful. Powerful. Yeah. I was watching the Indy 500 last week and uh, there was a team that had a female driver, Simona Di Silvestro, and it was uh, owned by, I think a woman named Beth Beretta uh, and it was Beretta Autosport and they were calling it a female forward team. And at first I'm like, you know, I've seen female drivers in various different autosport categories. And I've seen female owners at various points. But the thing that jumped out to me about this, and may, honestly, Corey, during the race, made me actively cheer for this team. Even though they had no chance of winning the race because their car was bad and they had bad pit strategy here and there. But the person who was sitting on the pit wall was a woman. The people who were changing the tires, jumping over the wall into traffic of cars that were flying down pit lane were all women. Like, it was just, it was a full female team. And as you're watching the race, you're like, sure, they're not going to finish in the top 10, the top five, whatever. But this is badass. I'm, like, as I'm watching, I'm going, this is incredible. And it, it shouldn't be incredible because it was like, it wasn't, wow, I, I'm shocked that they're good at doing this. It was, I was shocked we haven't done it before. Like, what, why the hell have we not done this before? Where it's like every single team, when you look up and down the paddock in motorsport or on sidelines all over the place, 
it's just a bunch of dudes standing shoulder to shoulder. And it's like, I mean, I get why we did it originally, but times have changed. So it makes sense to open these doors. So uh, I love that you're doing that. And I'll also say on your work when it comes to racial diversity and also the, the female internship program here for football coaching, that my, I think the quote that stuck with me the most from the last year and a half, let's say, is John Amici, a former NBA player, uh, who, when he talks about being able to have privilege, he says, privilege is not the idea of being handed something. Privilege is the absence of impediment. And the idea that you guys are getting rid of the impediment that exists to women who want to try to get into football coaching, that is then taking away the privilege that's being given to other people who are just, you show up and you say, well, I played university football. Great. You get to be a coach, right? Like that's, that's the shoe in the door, but to be able to take away that impediment, that's such a powerful structure to be able to create that will have long-term effects. Yeah, definitely. And, and for us, we just want to create a pipeline. Like let's, let's, let's go. Time is changing. The way I teach things and the way I do things may not work for my individual player way of my positional coach might say something or do something will work and that player will be able to relate to that. No different than a woman coming in and just will say things a little bit differently or do things or have us change things to make us better. Right. My wife makes me better. My daughter makes me better. Um, these things are so important and opening the door. Why keep doing the status quo or this is the way it's done. Let's change things up and, and really open up a pipeline so that we in football can really be leaders and really create advocate for that change. Yeah, absolutely. Love it, man. Well, thank you, Corey. It's always great to catch up with you. I love the conversation. Anytime I get to uh, spend a little bit of time with you virtually or not, and uh, don't let your son keep running faster than you. Okay. Yeah, I know he's out there and I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I, it, it's, it's going to happen. It's, it's happening quicker than I wanted to. I wanted him to wait till at least teenager. He's 10 and that's getting, that's all. I, I just keep saying the Achille, my hamstrings. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, can he fly or are you now slow? He can fly. He, he can. Okay, he can, good. Because I was going to say, I've seen you run and you're not yeah. slow. So if he's beating you, he can fly. And if he's 10 and he's beating you, that kid is a freak. He can, he can, he can pick him up and put him down. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he can, he can definitely do that. So it's all good. Perfect. Thanks brother. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Appreciate you. Always a great conversation with Corey Grant. McMaster is really lucky to have him, and we are extremely lucky to be able to have people like Corey Grant that have experience in the Canadian Football League playing U-Sports football, CIS back when he was playing, of course, and getting an opportunity to pass down that knowledge to the next generation. He really does care about continuing that knowledge and that dissemination of what's really important in the game, and I absolutely love his passion. He is one of the best people, I think, around the game and there's a lot of great people around this game but he does a great job calling the x's and o's but it's a lot more than that and the efforts to start that women's football program it's pretty powerful because that could be a legacy for people like Corey grant that decide to take that leap and try to do something new something creative something different this is the time i think we all realize to open your eyes to things that we've been doing incorrectly for a long time and that's certainly one of them that I've become more aware of over the last year or so. And starting to see the benefits of that might not be in the next year or two. It might be in five to ten years. But you have to allow a program like that to grow and find its feet before you can actually see the results of it all. So thank you to Corey for starting that because that could be a real trendsetter 
across U Sports football and far beyond. Uh, thank you, as always, to Fox 40 for allowing us to put together the podcast here and supporting us. Always appreciate their support, as we do, of course, Sawdust City Brewing Company. CFL is the new promo code for Sawdust. Get yourself free shipping on your first order over $100. And, of course, use CFP15 for all of your whistle needs at fox40shop.com. Thanks, as always, for listening to the A Block. Talk next week. <laughs>